Welcome to Because of This House, a podcast exploring the history, impact, and significance of housing in Rockford, Illinois, and beyond. Because of This House is brought to you by Rockford Area Habitat for Humanity. I'm your host, Lauren Morelli. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Because of This House. You know me by now, but in case you don't, I'm Lauren Morelli, and across the table from me today is one of Rockford Habitat's longtime volunteers, John Hargrove. Hi, John. Thanks for being with us today. Good morning, Lauren. Nice to see you. We're super excited to talk with you today about all things habitat, your experience, the restore. So the first thing I'd love for all of our listeners is to get to know you a little bit. Could you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your history with habitat. Sure. My name is John Hargrove, and I've been with Habitat Affiliate here in Rockford for almost eight years. Started when I retired. I uh, basically was doing some other volunteer work with a fellow that actually I'd never met before. Little did I know he was on the board of directors and got a call from him about six months later saying, how's that retirement going and what are you doing to keep busy and have I got an opportunity for you? So I thought, well, join the board of directors. So I was on the board for six years and was the board president for two of those years and allowed me to become certainly a lot more involved, but a lot more informed about the work of Habitat. I can't really say that I had a lot of experience with Habitat except a general understanding of their mission before I became involved with the board of directors. But after that, it became a real passion of mine. My wife got involved in some committee work. Uh, It was just a great fit for us. I think the nature of the work that uh, getting involved with an organization like Habitat allows you to do is a great way to feel good about the way you're using your time when you've left the working world. And so you've been involved now for how many years with Habitat? Almost eight years. I'm on several different committees. Still I'm on. I've been off the board now for a year, but I'm a retired retailer. I worked for 42 years for Sears, so I had a lot of retail experience and became immediately involved with the Restore. The Restore at that time here in Rockford was at a different location and had lots of opportunities, so it was one of those areas where I kind of plugged myself in. I'm still plugged in. I do a lot of work with the Restore. My wife and I volunteered there several days a week, along with a lot of our friends. It's been a real labor of love. It's been fun to work with that organization and to be able to have impact on how the store operates and how they can become more successful in supporting the affiliates. So it's been a great fit. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, that whole group of people over at the Restore right now is just phenomenal. So much fun. But I know a lot of people might not know what the Restore is. What is is the Restore, John, in a nutshell? What would you say the Restore is? In clinical terms, it's one of the main funding sources for capital that goes towards the building of our houses every year. When I joined the affiliate eight years ago on the board, we were building one or two houses a year, and that meant they had to raise money somewhere in the neighborhood of $160,000 annually to pay for that house because those houses are sold to people. They buy them, and they pay us back over 30 years, so you have this big outlay of cash from the very beginning. We're now building six houses a year, so take that substantial amount, and so you need to be able to have this incoming flow of cash. And what the Restore does by selling items that are donated to it gives them a chance to not only be able to take care of a lot of different issues involving the community, but basically raise some surplus revenue that can then go towards paying for some of the houses. And this year, there will be a substantial contribution to probably cover three or four of the homes in their entirety. So it's a fundraiser. Uh, I don't 
don't think our customers necessarily see it that way as much as it's just a retail store opportunity for them. But we're trying to get that message across through different messaging and explain to people that not only are you buying something from the store, but here's what this money is being used for. Here's the good work that it's doing and hopefully encourage them to keep shopping with us. Right, right. It's interesting how a lot of the customers who come to the store maybe don't know the connection to Habitat. So it's always fun to talk about that. But even for the people who haven't been to the ReStore before, when you walk in, what is it? What would you compare it to? What do we sell? Well, I've been to a number of ReStores all over the country because now that we are so involved with Habitat, it becomes one of those, hey, while we're in this town, look, there's a ReStore. Let's stop by and take a look at it, which is probably a sickness. But we have that disease. It's not going away. And they're all different. Some of them look like big swap meets. Some of them look like old lumber yards converted to selling stuff. And then some look more like a traditional store. And frankly, the store that we've moved into, which was three years ago, looks more like a traditional retail store. It was a retail store in its prior tenant. We've kind of set the store up so that it shops more like a regular retail store. It gives you the opportunity to find merchandise in a more logical fashion. The signing is more descriptive. And the store is attempted to be kind of cleaner looking than what you might think would be donated merchandise that includes, you know, building materials. You might think, oh, this is going to be kind of a dirty, dusty store, and it's really not that at all. It really looks like a regular retail store, and this one just gave us a lot more space than our prior location. So it's a great store. I'm real proud with how the employees have made it the store that it is. It truly looks great in there. I mean, you walk in and you're like, oh, I see all the different departments. I can tell, you know, kind of the layout of the store. And obviously there's a good mix of lightly used items that have been donated to the store, but there's also tons of brand new donated items, which I know you have a big role in, (laughs) particularly the flooring, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So what's that like? One of the challenge in a store like the ReStore is you have to determine how much donated merchandise are you going to get. And part of it is, is where you locate the store. Our relocation to this new store not only tripled its floor space, it went from about 12,000 square foot to almost 33,000 square foot. It's in a section of Rockford where we get most of our donations from anyway. So it's more convenient to those who donate to us on a regular basis to get to the store. That's kind of a big hurdle. We didn't think it might be that big a deal, but it has turned out to be that. And then we have to start partnering with businesses to say, okay, if a carpet store, I'll bet you at some point you have merchandise that you aren't selling. It's kind of taken up space and we need to approach them and say, we'd love to have it. We'll take that purple roll of carpet that you can't sell because somebody will buy it from us. You give it to us at no cost. We will price it aggressively and hopefully we'll find somebody that will be just in the market for purple carpet. And so we've done that with a lot of large retailers in the area and have established a couple really productive relationships where we regularly get merchandise that, frankly, they just don't want. Or in some cases, they get it shipped in error. Big companies get a lot of merchandise misshipped to them. And the company that misships it is not going to send a truck back out to pick up the three boxes that weren't designed to go to that location. And the the big distribution centers, they have to get rid of it. So it's a great uh, way for us to be able to help them out. But most most importantly, it gives us brand new merchandise, and it's a surprise. So every time we get these pallets of donated merchandise in, it's kind of like Christmas morning. You open up the boxes and go, oh man, what is that? Some cases, we know exactly what it is. It's a you know bunch of tools, and we think, yeah. oh, we'll sell that in a heartbeat, or we'll get some brand new flooring in, or we'll get some pillows or something like that that we can sell. But in a lot of cases, it's like, I have no idea what this even is. So we, Google this quick. Oh, we, <laughs> what is this? Absolutely. And I'm 
I'm not a construction guy. Uh, that's why I do this volunteer work. They've had me on the job site before, and they know of my extremely limited capacity. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not really allowed to go back there too much. So I, that's why I'm in the restore. But we have to look things up, and we find okay. So the only person that's going to want this is probably somebody, uh, a plumber, for example. It's a weird plumbing item. The good news is we now have regular contractors that shop us every week because they know we get this stuff in and that we sell it at extremely low prices and they're looking for us. So in some cases, we'll get somebody to come in and we'll go, well, who's going to buy this? And some plumber walks in and says, I'll take all of it, which is great. So it gives us a different relationship with different parts of the community. But this new merchandise obviously helps us charge maybe a little bit more for some of the items, and it really helps our revenue. And, and the sales have been terrific as a result of these business relationships. Yes, yes. And just for those who maybe haven't shopped at the ReStore before, correct me if I'm wrong, John, but I believe the typical policy is we'll mark things about 50% or less of the retail price, a brand new item. Yeah, the goal is to say when you see this item, you're not going to find it lower anyplace else in town if it's a new item. Obviously, some items have more value than other things, but the idea is to say we're raising money here. We're not for profit. We're just strictly raising revenue. So we want a price that we want to sell it. And based on the number of donations that we get, which has turned into be an incredible amount every week, we have to move the merchandise through. So you price it competitively and people get used to it. In fact, the customers tell me when I come in here and I see something that I like, I figured out the key to the restore. You see it, you like it, you better buy it today because if you come back tomorrow, it's not there. And we've had so many customers come in and say, there was something right on this corner of this shelf yesterday and I had to go measure to see if it'll fit. You know where that is? Yeah, yeah, I sold it last night. That's like, oh man, I I knew I should have bought it then. And they have kind of figured that out now. So if they're an encouraged buyer, if they see something, it's like, I'll take it. Yeah. It's actually crazy how quickly some things can go. I'll go in and see something in the morning and it's gone by lunchtime. But also makes for a lot of unique finds and things that are very specific, unlikely that anybody else has something similar. So kind of a cool place to shop. I'm just putting the plug in there for everyone listening. So can you share just a little bit about the ways that the ReStore impacts the Rockford community? I know that's a really broad question, but... In what ways does the store impact Rockford? First off, it accomplishes our goal, which is to say we need capital to build these homes. We need upfront money every year, and we need more and more of it the more houses that we are able to through our capacity to build. Besides the fact that it's addressing the topic of affordable housing in our city, what I have learned with my affiliation with this Habitat office is that everybody in the city of Rockford's talked for decades about affordable housing gaps and that we absolutely don't have enough affordable housing. We don't have the opportunities for people to get into the role of being a homeowner. And the more that I've learned about it, the talk's cheap. It's serious talk, but no one has really accomplished any kind of solution that has made a dent in the housing shortage. And that's what I probably am the most proud of with our affiliate is we're now in the mid-140s in the number of new homes that we've built here in Rockford. There isn't an organization in the entire state that has built that many new homes in a single market like Rockford. While we all embrace the idea of affordable housing, we're actually able to pull it off, and we'd like to be able to to do more of that. The the store provides us with the revenues to do part of that. And then I think part of it is also for us to be able to get people to say, 
okay, so I hear about Habitat. I think you guys give houses to people and I'm not quite sure how that happens, but I guess that's good work. So part of our role is to say, nope, that's not what we do. Let me explain it to you. And we do it through some message boarding in our store. And a lot of it is just conversations with people. You know, people will make a comment like, so you're the guys that give houses to people. Is that right? It's like, nope, we sell them. Oh, you mean they have to pay for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they become a homeowner. We're the bank. They have a mortgage with us and they have to pay their rent. They get to pay property taxes like every other homeowner in the city and they get to have house insurance and all those things that everybody else that you probably do. These people become just plain old Rockford homeowners. It's a great learning experience for them. That's not necessarily our main role of educating them, but when the topic comes up, we're all really anxious to set people's straight and say, we'd like you to at least understand what we do and maybe more importantly, what we don't do or how we don't do it. And they like to hear about the other ways that we can impact the city of Rockford through how we can contribute to the economy. For example, we do a ton of recycling, one of their mainstays of kind of philosophies of how do you become a good steward of the environment is, are you an aggressive recycler? And we recycle literally tens of thousands of pounds of metal every year and we recycle all of our cardboard, and we recycle a whole lot of merchandise that if it had not gone into our store to resell it, it ended up in the landfill. Well, none of us want that. We know the landfill space is going to fill up. And the other part of it is just to be able to say, if you'd like to be able to support the idea of affordable, low-cost housing in Rockford, join us. And then if you get into conversations, so you're an employee here, right? Nope. Really, you're doing all this heavy work and you're doing it for free. It's like, yeah, I'm a volunteer. There's a whole bunch of volunteers here. Oh, well, you know, I I retired a year ago. I've been kind of looking for something to do. And we've landed a few new volunteers for them to say, I'd like to do that. Or by the way, I'm really handy. I think I could actually help build a house. Absolutely. Let's get you involved with the organization. I think there's a bunch of things that the Restore can do. It's just a very public forum where people can gain information and maybe learn more about the organization and hopefully become more involved. It's such a unique model, I feel like, to be able to educate members of the community about what else is going on in our community through Habitat. But like you said, also giving people volunteer opportunities, things like that. It's just exciting to think about the many lives that the Restore has impacted. You kind of touched on this a little bit, the assumption that we give away houses as Habitat. Are there any other Restore frequently asked questions? If you get into a discussion about how we do what we do, that discussion leads to further questions and whatever, so it becomes kind of a dialogue. They're in there to buy something or look for something, so they're not looking for a speech. But in some cases, you get into some really interesting conversations about, yeah, I, I've heard about Habitat. I think you guys do good work. I'm not exactly sure what good work you do. Well, if you'll give me the opportunity to talk about it, I'll get on my soapbox and give you a three-minute presentation about what we do. But some of it is like, so how do you pick the families. You think, well, so you've actually thought about this. You know, who gets these houses? So you go through the entire process. My wife is involved with the family selection process. And through that, we've learned an awful lot about how you do that, how you do that in a fair way and in an insightful way. And people really like to know that this isn't just a matter of kind of giving stuff away. While we love to give people advantages and a hand up in helping them improve their lives, we are not big into handouts. It's not what we do. It's not what we embrace. And the more I think 
we can tell people about that mission, it kind of rings true. Like, so there's an investment on these families. There's a partnership that you start having with these families when you do this. And they're like, yep, you got it. It's great work. It's life-changing work for these families. You got to come be part of this. It's a way for us to be able to give them a better description of how we do things and the real philosophy without getting too heavy in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And that encourages me that people are curious to learn more, you know, that they want to know what their money's going to and they want to know what Habitat's doing. So we'll have people come in and say, well, now do you guys negotiate? Yeah, no, we don't. And it's like, really? Oh, I thought this was like a flea market. We try to price the item as low as we can. We make it very competitive. I happen to do a lot of work in our flooring and tile area and just kind of how it turned out. And so I know a lot about it. So if somebody goes, well, that's a lot for that box of wood flooring. It's like, yeah, well, down the street, they sell it for twice that. And as they are pulling out their phone to check this guy that just told them that, because not that they don't believe me, but they have no reason to believe me, they look it up and go, wow, that really is expensive. And so you're selling, wow, you're selling it for like less than half price. Yep, yep, we are. I think I'm going to go home and measure that. Okay, well, remember the rule. And so I give them the rule. If you like it now, well, so if I don't like it and I take it home, can I bring it back? No, this is a one-way transaction, but could you call somebody and take those measurements for you? And so we've helped them understand that we try to price this as aggressively as possible. If we have something that turns out to be not selling, we'll mark it down. Eventually, I mean, again, we're, we're trying to sell this stuff. We're not trying to warehouse this. We're trying to move it out. So the, the reputation is becoming, you guys really have nice stuff and the prices are really sharp. I think that's kind of the reputation on the street, which is probably what we're shooting for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are there any other kinds of ins and outs of the ReStore that would be helpful for people maybe who haven't shopped there before to know? We need a constant flow of donations. So I think part of the idea is, so what do you take? You know, they know... Goodwill, they know the Salvation Army, they know the Rockford Rescue Mission, they all do good work as far as where I can drop my stuff off. But we have a pretty specific list of things that we will take. It's pretty broad, but there's also a pretty big list of things we can't take. The EPA won't let us sell used faucets, so I can't take your old open paint cans. But the more that we can remind them that, by the way, here's the things we do take. So if you've got a basement full of goodies, you know, one thing we found last year with the shutdown with uh, the pandemic was I'm stuck in my house, I guess I'm going to have to go in the basement, address that stuff down there that's been sitting there for years. And we had such an influx of people bring things in. It's like, yeah, this has been down there for eight years. Not exactly sure. It says household on it and they open it up and it's like, oh, well, you know, okay, uh, do you take this? So we received an awful lot of donations. We get very few people that drop stuff off that don't pull around to the front of the store and then park and come in. So we realize, okay, now we've got you coming and going. And thank you for that. Your stuff is going to be probably on sale by tomorrow by the time we process it. You got to check out the rest of the stuff we have. And so part of it is you can participate with us as a shopper. You can participate with us as a donator. And if you want to know more about the affiliate and this shopping thing isn't really your interest, there's other ways to help us. So if you're open to some suggestions, we've got them. Absolutely. There's like a million ways that you can be a part of the Restore's mission. There's a lot going on. So ask us about it. I will just say for the donation list of things we do and don't take, if you visit rockfordhabitat.org, go to the Restore page, there's a drop down that says donate to the Restore. Click on that page. That's where all the things we take and things we don't take are. So John, I guess I want to, I'm sorry to put you on the spot if this is a tough question, but are there any Restore fun facts 
that come to your mind? Anything that's surprising or, yeah, some numbers for us on <laughs> what we've recycled in a year or, yeah, I'm leaving it broad on purpose. I know there are, but thanks for asking. The interesting thing is, is there's not much we can't sell that's on our list of stuff we take. A recent example, we got a major retailer that's closing out an item and they occasionally, if they're in a position where we're not going to sell this anymore, we've got a bunch of it on hand, our stores really don't want it because they don't sell it either, would you like it? And so we got a call saying, would you like some brand new toilets? And it's like, well, of course, we sell toilets all the time. And by some, you meant how many? The end quantity was, well, if you take this donation, you have to take them all. It's like, well, how many is all? Well, all was 500. It was more than a semi is full of toilets. It was a sight to behold. It's the most toilets I've ever seen. And so we thought, well, is there anything wrong with them? Are they pink or are they broken? Nope, they're just... Just an old item, but they're brand new in a box. They're kind of an inexpensive toilet, so it's something that you'll have a lot of people looking at because, you know, we have landlords that say, I've got an apartment full of 24 units, and the toilets get wrecked. And so I would like an affordable way to be able to fix these places up versus having to go pay full retail. We were very nervous getting them in, thinking, how long will it take us to sell these? Because you have to take them and put them someplace. We put a mountain of them in the store. We have an auxiliary warehouse where we stage some stuff temporarily. It was literally a frenzy of activity. It was hilarious. People will walk in and they're on their phones calling whoever saying, oh my gosh, there's a really good buy here. I think we need some of these. One plumber, one of our first customers said, these are the cheapest toilets I've ever seen in the city of Rockford. It's like, yep, that's kind of what we thought. That's what we're going for. How many would you like? I'll take 16 of them. Really? And I said, yeah, I got a really big truck out there. And he did. He took 16 toilets with him that day. We went through 500 toilets in less than three weeks. It turned out to be just a wonderful revenue influx for us. I mean, it was fantastic. It reminded us that doesn't work for everything. We've received some donations like no one is going to buy this. And the answer was, you're correct. They're not all gems. So in some cases, we have to throw some stuff away. We do have a big dumpster that we fill up every week of items that get donated to us that are either not in the condition that we can resell safely, or in some cases, we just can't sell it. It's just a weird item or something that we can break down and recycle and do things like that. We had a painting come in a couple of years ago. I was like, I, I know nothing about art. I know what I like, but they started researching the, the artist and, you know, that's a such and such painting. It's like, okay, yeah, well, the last one that was sold wasn't exactly that painting, but was sold like this was sold for $7,000. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Okay. So we ended up selling the painting for, I think it was fourteen hundred dollars or whatever this is a place where you come in and you buy a two dollar used shovel and yet we had somebody come in and say i will take that twelve hundred dollar painting we had a, a gentleman come in he was a retired sheep farmer i don't even know why we knew that except that he told us and what he was dropping off was a custom made he made it so he was very proud of it sheep shearing table made out of solid oak. This guy obviously was a carpenter. He made this incredible piece of fine furniture. He used it to get his sheep up and tie them down so that he could shear their coats. We got this in and it was like, who's coming in to say, you don't happen to have any sheep, sheep shearing, shearing tables, do you? There must have been 20 people that were heartbroken when the first person bought it and they came back and said, I knew I should have bought that when I saw it. We get things in that are just like, wow, that is amazing. There are a few things that you think, well, no one's going to look for that here. And now we're kind of becoming the scavenger hunt retailer. I got to look around because 
I might miss something. You only have one. It's turned out where we've sold, in some cases, you know, some scientific equipment. And yeah. it's like, wow, who would come here for that? Like, Someone did. They did, and they bought it. It kind of reminds us that there are a few things that we'll probably make a mistake on taking. But most cases, there's somebody out there for it. They just have to check us out. That was actually what I was going to ask next was if there's any good stories of specific items or any just fun restore stories. Does anything else come to mind besides the ones you just shared? We received recently spools of wire. They weighed 580 pounds each. So I think, well, this will be fun to move around. Electricians come in and say, I saw this thing online. Where is it? They're almost all sold because somebody needed them. I'll never need a spool of wire that's a thousand feet long, but they were commercial electricians. And it's like, yeah, you know, if I bought this from my regular source, I would be paying a ton more. So this yeah. is a deal of century. In fact, here's my business card. If you ever get any more wire like this, I'd yeah. love to look at it, which we're obviously happy to do. We get in a lot of valuable antiques. These days, we do a lot of parents are moving out of the house and the kids have gone through and said, oh, that's a bunch of old furniture and I don't like that style. So they call us up and we schedule a truck to pick up some lovely antique furniture. And we've got a huge vintage and antique section. We end up with some really interesting pieces that are very historical. We just donated a set of wicker furniture that were made at the Indiana Penitentiary in 1920. Who's going to want this? It's very dramatic looking furniture and it it was gone in a couple days. So there's not much that we can't sell and some of it is really interesting and really unique. You just have to be the right person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The vintage section blows my mind. Every time I walk through there, there's so much history. There's also volunteers who know like every detail about every item. (laughs) So you can ask, you point something out and they'll be like, oh, let me tell you all about the history of this item. We've researched it. We've put in all this work to really lovingly find a way to capture what this item actually is. That's also a really sweet part of shopping the restore is you're going to get something unique for sure if you shop the vintage section. So, well, John, before we kind of give some on-ramps, I always call them on-ramps for people to get involved with the restore. I just want to ask you why you volunteer at the restore. What do you like about it? What keeps you coming back? Why do you volunteer at the restore? Partially, it's my connection with retail, and it's a comfortable environment for me. So I guess initially, it was a logical place for me to use my time, only because I knew a lot about it. The more we got into it, as a board member, it became a matter of, we're not in the business of retail and habitat. That's not our gig. I mean, that's not our area of expertise by any means. But it became a way for us to start looking at the Restore differently, saying, our opportunity to expand this revenue stream to something that would allow us to expand our building capacity much faster than we ever thought we would kind of reminded us that we need to be really good at this. We need to be able to make the most of the situation. We need to become a lot more informed. We need to make this like if this was your individual entrepreneurial effort. This is your store. What would you have to do to make it a success? And how can we think of it that way? This isn't a casual endeavor. It's really complicated to run a store that's got 33,000 square foot of stuff in it. It's full. And we run it on many days. We have more volunteers than we have employees. And we've got a really good staff of people there. They're some of the hardest working retail employees that I've ever run into. And I've known thousands. I'm so uh, proud to be able to work alongside with them. It's not fancy work. When you work in a real sales store, you wear comfortable clothes, comfortable shoes because you're on your feet all day. And you need stuff that you can wash because we get dirty. You know, you're handling stuff that's not exactly 
exactly pristine in some cases. And our uh, staff, the cashiers who do such a wonderful job, they have a great rapport with our customers. A couple of our cashiers know at least 30, 40, 50 regular shoppers. They walk in and they go, Steve, how you doing today? I see you're back. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm in here all the time. Well, that's a great relationship to establish with customers. You wouldn't think that would really happen in a store like ours, but it does. Our donation people who work so hard on loading truckloads of stuff, which is physical hard work, sometimes having to tell people, ooh, we don't take those 37 gallons of open paint that you had in the back of your truck. Sorry, can't take that. You need to take that back home. And more importantly, dealing with customers picking up the merchandise that they purchase. It's a real customer service kind of thing. And just because you can physically handle moving furniture, you don't always walk in the door with great customer service skills. And there's some staff that we have on that are just, they're really nice people and they're complimentary to our customers. They treat the merchandise with care because they know they just bought it. They're respectful. They thank them for shopping. They encourage them to come back. I mean, it's quite a, a customer service example. And I wouldn't necessarily expect that in a store like ours, but that's one of the reasons we're successful. These are really qualified people. They're nice to deal with. You want to come back because everybody was respectful. I think the other thing is I really enjoy working with my friends. Volunteering alone probably would have been okay for me, but it's boring. You could truly work in a big store like that when there are very few employees and very few volunteers. You could work alone. I'm a social person. I've been in retail my whole life. The church that I go to, my wife and I started talking about, here's what we do Mm -hmm. in our spare time because we got spare time. You know, we had more people say, well, I might do that. I don't want to commit to this yet, but, you know, kind of come over and check it out and be like, absolutely. Said the spider to the fly. You know, they get in there and it's like, well, we got you. We have a huge group of friends now that are over there. Well, it's much more fun to work with friends. The light ladies, these people are truly friends first and they all happen to be volunteers at the store. Well, the advantage of that is I feel a part of something. I know all the employees. I hear about their stories. I know about their families. I know about their kids. I know when someone's sick and they're not strangers to me. They're friends, along with the people that they volunteer with. I mean, you hear people laughing and kidding around and having a good time, but they're working really hard. When you come home after volunteering for hours at the ReStore, I feel in my back a little bit later in the evening because it was physical work. But I also can tell you that I probably am in the best shape that I've ever been in. But more importantly, I get to talk to really great customers. They're all fun. They're really interesting. We get to mess around with their kids when they're in in the store looking at the stuff because this isn't a fun kid's store, so they all look bored. here, here's a tape measure. Why don't you go measure these things? I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do that. So part of it is you just have an opportunity to work with your friends, but also interact with some really great customers. Which reflects the kind of spirit of the ReStore, I feel like. The community that has come together to make Habitat what it is and make the ReStore what it is. How fun to bring that community into your day-to-day volunteering. That's just really, really awesome. And I feel like unique to our organization, just that element of camaraderie and just doing this really meaningful thing together. So I love the group of friends from St. Mark. Everyone's so nice and always, like you said, is having a good time. So a lady tell me that I like coming in here because nobody's trying to sell me anything. Right, right. It's like, that's not our job. You want to ask questions, we're here to help you. If you want to help pick this up and put it in your shopping cart or for us to get a cart and and take it out back for you, we can do that. There's no pressure in a store like that. It's very much a lot more relaxed environment. And that's probably easier for our employees. No one has a sales quota. They just have a be nice to the customer and help them. That's an easy thing to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing about just your like passion for volunteering. I want to ask you, what are some ways that community members can support the ReStore? So for someone who's listening and is like, eh, I'm not sure if I want to try this out, give me some more reasons to try it, or what would I be doing? What would you tell them as some good next steps to potentially get involved? I'd encourage somebody to first come in and just check us out. I mean, it is adult Disney World. It is a weird store. I mean, I had a guy come up to a couple days ago and say, what is this? And I said, I have no idea. Do you? It's like, nope, I don't either. And then some other gentleman walked up and said, really? That's an item that you use to pull a such and such from a car's engine. It's like, really? Okay. Sure. Sure it is. And the guy said, well, that's not what I want. You know, it's like... Now I know what it is. I, you know, I think it's still there, by the way, if you want to buy one. I'd have them check it out first. I, I think yeah. it's important for people to kind of get an idea of, does it feel like a place that I might like? And then we've had people come in and say, you know, could I shadow somebody a little bit and just say, could I see what you do? We've had people come in and say, yeah, it's too hands-on. Yeah, we get stuff donated to us, and the donator is not thinking about that it's been in their basement for a decade. So it's got some stuff on it. We don't think that's right to put that on the floor and have you as a customer say, oh, I'll buy that. Ugh, that thing is filthy. Uh, I'll still buy it. Well, we'll clean it up. We've had some people go, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's not my gig. We had a gentleman come in. He said, I like to work with my hands. Well, we don't really have a lot of that in the store, but one thing we do is we bring break down things that are metal and we separate them by metal type and we recycle them in bins that say this is steel, this is copper, this is brass, this is aluminum. So we need people that will work in the back with big nasty hammers and beat the heck out of things into pieces and we recycle and then we'll go and come back with a check for you know $1,500 of recycled metal. Well, it didn't go in the landfill. It gets to be truly recycled and we got some revenue on it. It's just kind of a weird physical job. And that's where he is today. So we've had people come and say, I'm handy at that. I could do that. I could replace a cord to a lamp. I could get that lawnmower to work. So we have people that that's what I kind of like to do. I don't want to be on the sales floor. I don't, that's not what I like to do. And then we have others that just say, I don't really care. I just like to do something where I feel like I'm not wasting my leisure time. I want to accomplish something. And, you know, when we leave the store, most of the time it's like, man, we got a lot done today. And and you walk in the next two days later or whatever, and you realize, hey, half that stuff we put out is gone. So you can get a sense of accomplishment. It isn't just a matter of physical labor, but there's all kinds of different things. And we've had some people say, yeah, thanks for showing me this. This is absolutely not what I want. And we don't take it personally and be like, okay, would you do computer entry? Would you like that? Oh, you have that here? Nope, but we have it at our affiliate office. We need help doing data entry. Well, I can do that. That's what I used to do in my regular job. Mm-hmm. Well, then fine, come come over here and we'll see if we can plug you into that. I, I do some office work in, in, with the affiliate as well. So if that's what your interest is, then we can do that. Or people do talk about, well, I actually would like to swing a hammer. Great. We have hammer swinging oh, rules. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, just a few times this summer, as in like multiple times a week. So please do that. Yes. And I think the other thing is they realize A volunteer job is just that. So they say, well, but I have to be honest with you, I golf. I love to golf. And so when it's a beautiful day, I don't really want to go there. I want to golf. Like, fine, go golf. Or I go to Florida for three months in the winter because the weather's terrible up here. Uh, Okay, well, enjoy. When you come back, we'll still be here. We'll welcome you with open arms. And we have people that do that. They come back and it's like, 
I'm back. And it's great. Well, there's, you know what to do, right? Well, yep. get to work. I think people also realize you're not going to schedule me and I'm not going to disappoint somebody by saying, I don't want to do that today. It's pouring rain out. Well, then we can be flexible like that. And I think that is maybe an opportunity where some people say, like, I think I'm going to box myself in and put myself in a position where you're going to count on me and I'm going to feel like I've got another schedule. And I was trying to get away from that in my retirement. That doesn't happen happen here. So we have some people that say, you know what, last week I worked 20 hours volunteering because there was a lot to do. And this week I've been in here one day for three hours Mm -hmm. because that was the way my schedule was. And it's okay. And there's complete flexibility for that, right? Like they could come in once a month if they want to, like whatever works with your life. It's clear to us we need more people because we know we can do a better job with Mm -hmm. processing the merchandise. It's just that it's uh, we need more help. And I would say, don't come alone. Bring somebody you know, bring somebody you like. Absolutely. There's so many different volunteer opportunities. It's truly whatever works best with you in your life. If you want to come with friends, bring a friend. If you want alone time, come by yourself. (laughs) Or if you want to make new friends, there's so many amazing volunteers that you can build relationships with. So that's super exciting for me to hear because I hope this conversation causes that person who's on the edge of like, maybe I'll volunteer. Maybe it'll cause them to really check it out. Our light ladies had the opportunity more than a year ago to work with one of our prospective homeowners. She was doing some work at the ReStore, volunteering work, to kind of do some partnership hours in advance of her becoming a homeowner. So this was a complete stranger, never met her before. These women are such friends now, and they care so much for this young lady who's a homeowner now and her child, that she keeps stopping in the store to check in with the light ladies. And it became very personal. But to them, it was like, so now I see who the program benefits. This is a homeowner who said in her family she had never in any generation ever had somebody that was defined as a homeowner. No one, her grandparents, her great-grandparents, never owned a home. She goes, and here I am, I'm 29 years old, and I've got a brand new house that's in a safe neighborhood. It's a wonderful house for my kid. We have a backyard, we have neighbors, and my life is completely different. Well, for them to say that to us as volunteers who aren't in that situation, who necessarily can't identify with it, you get the drift of, okay, I got it. That's what Habitat is. It's her. It's her kid. It's her family. This other stuff is just a means to an end, but you kind of get encouraged when you see that happening. They'll go to a home dedication and see this family get the keys to the house. It's great. It's a tear-jerking moment for everybody. But they see, oh, that's what this is. This is a life-changing phenomenon for this family. From this point forward, yeah, we had a little bit to do with that. So it's like, yeah, I'll go back to the store. I mean, that's the mission in a nutshell, right? It's about people and it's about our community and bringing that mission into focus is really what motivates everything that we do. I think the last question I have for you, John, is if I missed anything, do you feel like there's anything that you want to talk about related to the ReStore or volunteering that I missed? Anything else you want to add? Anybody can volunteer for our affiliate. And I think you basically have to decide, do you want to do something that really is an impactful effort and use of your time? And I would tell you that while there's some great opportunities, there's some wonderful not-for-profits and organizations in the city that do great work that we work with and we respect. My wife and I know several of our families now very well. We've gotten to know them as they went through the process and, and they are homeowners now. We know their families. We continue to talk with them. They're friends now. We just brought in our base of friendship. But you see how their life has 
completely changed. There's nothing quite like that to validate the fact. I want to make a difference. Everybody would probably say that in their volunteer work. But you see that and go, yeah, that's it. But then you realize, nah, it's personal. This is personal work. And if you really embrace it more than I'm not just cleaning a dirty light fixture full of dead bugs, it's just validation that this is why I do this. This is exactly why I do this. It's because of this impact on this family. Where else could I do that? And the answer in my mind is, I'm not sure. There is other good work to be done. But if you want something that where you look back and say, that really impacted a family, even though I don't know them, I don't need to know them. I know the work is worth it. It's worth the investment on my time and now I'm kind of sucked into it. I'm personally getting some real satisfaction and growth out of it. Uh, That's a plus. To me, that's the real advantage of working for an organization like Rockford Area Habitat for Humanity. It's personal. Hmm. Hmm. That's such a powerful story and just perspective. So thank you so much for sharing that. John, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm so glad we got to chat with you, hear all of your great perspective on the Restore's day-to-day operations, and ultimately learn about the mission and purpose of the Restore. To keep up with John and everything going on at the Rockford Restore, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Habitat Restore Rockford. Once again, thank you for listening to Because of This House, which is brought to you by Habitat for Humanity. Our producer is Kervin Thomas. Our theme song was written by Nooney, who is also one of our Habitat homeowners. The song, entitled Daydreams, was produced by Chandler Bolden and engineered by Neil Howard. Believe it, if you believe it, if you believe it.